We serve an awesome God. Let's give him praise. Good morning. Stay standing with me, if you will. You know, as I sing and I worship with you, and we're just praising our God together, there's so many qualities about our God that are awesome and amazing and just are staggering. Wouldn't you say amen? But as I, as I just really think about what, what always seems to bring me to this place of just brokenness is whenever I consider his humility. In knowing who he is, our creator, how he came, came in such humility, lived with this humility in front of his disciples and all those who are around him and even willfully chose to die a humble kind of death. It just blows me away. And whenever you think about the fact that Peter, who walked with him, saw this, that's what was transforming in Peter's life. We're in this series called Stand Firm, and I want us to stand together as, we, as we're going to read this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. And I just want you to just ask the Lord right now. I don't know what's going on in your life or the troubles that you're facing or that maybe things are good for you, but what I would ask you right now is ask God to speak to you through His Word. You don't need to hear from me today. Amen? You need a word from the living God, and I want to ask you, just to, just to ask God to speak to you. So let's look at this passage. We're picking up where we left off last week. Peter writes this. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry. Everyone say, don't worry. Don't worry. Or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship. Everybody say worship. He says, don't worry. What does he say to do? Worship. Worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Wow. Let's just pray together. Lord, we are blown away by your word. Father, today we are asking you, Lord, as your presence is here among us, that you would teach us what it means to live this good kind of life, not just a life that's just only for our own personal gain or our own personal enjoyment, but Father, would you show us today through your word what the good life is, so that others may see that within us, in spite of our external circumstances, that we live this, 
life that we love. Lord, we choose today not to worry about the problems that we have in our lives. Father, we press into you with worship on our hearts, knowing that you are the good shepherd over our lives and over our souls. Lord, would you continue to speak to us today in your powerful name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Can we clap to him again today, church? Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? So this week, as I was uh, really just reading this over and over again, and I kept reading it, and I was like, Lord, I really want to understand this. I want to get this. I want, I want our church to get this and understand what you're trying to tell us. And there was something that I just really noticed that stood out to me probably about the third time when I read it. And it's where Peter is going to say something as we're in this series where Peter has written this letter to a group of Christians who are, who are struggling because their circumstances are tough. They're going through a lot of problems. They have people that are treating them harshly and, 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 and they're like, how do we live in a world that is hostile towards our faith? And what do you do whenever that's going on? And Peter's gonna do something here. He's gonna point them to a passage, another passage of scripture. And it's actually, this passage is found in Psalms 34. Uh, I don't have time to read all of that today, but I urge you to go read that in your own quiet time. And in Psalms 34, he's pointing them to a place where David, King David in the Old Testament, had written this psalm, and David was going through a hard time. He was being persecuted, and, and he ends up, David says this, and so Peter quotes David. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life, I think all of us would like to say, we'd like to enjoy our lives. And he's saying, if you want to do that, and you want to see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil, he says. And then what does he say to do? Do good. Do good. And, and, and he says, search for peace and work to maintain it. So there's an effort that you put in within this. Peter's quoting David on how to live what we'll say today, because I'm quoting them, how to live the good life. How do you actually do this? And what's interesting to me is if you know the context of what Peter is writing this, their external circumstances, these believers he's writing to about living the good life, loving life, literally is what he's saying, their, their external circumstances would be far from anything that would be what we would describe as good. There was nothing good about what was happening to them. They were being persecuted. Many of them had been murdered because they decided to follow Jesus. And, and, and they were being treated improperly in so many different ways. And Peter is saying, but I still want you to love life. I want you to have the good life. Well, what constitutes, it begs the question, what constitutes the good life? How do we know if we're living the good life? Is it even possible? I remember whenever I was a young man, I was watching a, a football game and a commercial came on. And as many of those commercials that would come on, it was a beer commercial. And, and as I was watching this, there, you remember this commercial? Uh, and, and there was a group of men who were sitting around a campfire out in nature there. And they're drinking beer. And one of them says this, it doesn't get any better than this. You remember that? Does anybody remember that commercial? Okay. And I remember as a young man, I'm watching that, and I remember thinking to myself, it doesn't? Really? And, and, and here's the deal. And I remember thinking, and I'm just confessing up to you, or your pastor, right? I remember thinking, I'm not saying I'm doing this now, but I'm saying, I did that, okay? I remember, I remember thinking, 
it, it, life, doesn't get any better than that, what they're doing, really? That's the good life? Now, I get the marketing ploy that this beer company's trying to identify the simple life with the good life and their brand and just kind of just everybody relaxing together. I kind of get this, but, but isn't it interesting that we have a mentality of, of the external things that are out there, that that is what constitutes what makes up the good life. And for most, and I'm going to say this, including many believers, the good life is contingent upon our outward circumstances. I mean, that's kind of natural for us to, to kind of make those things go together. The good life for many of us are contingent upon the conditions that we currently find ourselves in at this specific moment. If, if things are good around me or I have good things within my life, maybe we would equate it like this. If I have money that's in the bank or all of my relationships are, are, are maybe intact or, or, or I have possessions or the newest technologies or status or fame or whatever it may be, um, it could be that I, I have this relationship maybe with a person that I really want to be in a relationship with or just this general well-being of everything going my way, we would say maybe good fortune, that that's what makes up the good life. Well, one thing is for certain, I would say all of us here would agree in this, we all want the good life. I doubt there's anybody in here that's like, man, I want my life to stink, right? Nobody thinks really that way, but Peter is saying, I want to tell you how to have the good life. I want you to have the good life. We live in America, the, the richest nation in the history of the world, and yet what do we see and know every single day? People are discontented. People are disappointed with their lives. Many would even say they are disillusioned, wondering, is this really all there is? Is this, is this it? I mean, if, if this is it, it doesn't really get any better than this, seriously? And maybe we, we would believe, well, celebrities they have the good life, right? They, they maybe understand it better than we do. They would constitute, they have the things that would say this is the good life. But it was interesting this week as I was really contemplating this, I did just a Google search on celebrities discontented with life. And I don't remember how I typed that in, all right? But you can look at it for yourself. And it was amazing to me how many just such familiar ones came up. And I would have at certain points thought, man, I wouldn't have thought that they were disillusioned with life. I mean, I just, I just think about, I mean, just think about who you can think of. Think about guys like Robin Williams, sir. Maybe you don't know much about Frank Sinatra, but there were times where he talked about this. My generation, Gen X, Kurt Cobain, right? If you know his story and, and chasing after it, right? So many rock stars, so many movie stars, so many athletes. And what really struck me was the number of comedians. Think about guys like Chris Farley, guys like Jim Belushi, and, that, and that's kind of my generation, right? And, 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 and you can even, maybe for a younger generation, I thought, well, what about some in the younger generation, right? I kind of relate to some of those guys and knowing a little bit about them. But I started just looking at some of the younger generation. And if you know anything about Justin Bieber and you know some of his story and some of his disillusionment with, with his fame and his life and, and, and where he's at now and, and what's happening there, or Selena Gomez or or Demi Lovato, or some of these. And I mention these names not to point them out as an example in a bad or a good way. I'm just saying they're people that are in the, in the limelight. They're people that, 
that we would know and that we would recognize a celebrity that would have all kinds of things that many would constitute as the good life. I mean, I've really been watching very closely lately things that have been happening with, with Kanye West. If you, if you know, he's one of, one of the rappers, right? And, 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 and in that, certainly in that life that, would, that many would say is the good life. And, and, and now there's, there's talk about his new faith in Christ. And Justin Bieber is talking about his faith in Christ. And here's the deal. I don't know those guys. I don't know what they believe about. And I'm not saying that we should elevate them to a place of an example. But here is what I am going to say very firmly as your pastor. We need to be praying for them, not judging them. We need to be lifting them up that, 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 and realize that Jesus Christ can transform and change anybody. Amen? I mean, we ought, to, we ought to applaud that because he can do that in anyone's life. We need to stop judging and start lifting them up because God has given them a platform that many of us will never have. And God has changed people in, in significant ways throughout history. And so here is the thing. These kinds of folks, many of them would, would say, and they've spoken very openly about mental, well, uh, mental uh, health issues and mental wellness issues that they've struggled with because they've been trying to find life in the external stuff. Brad Pitt has been in the news lately because he has a new movie that's coming out. And this is an older Brad Pitt. And uh, he's been recently talking about his own spiritual journey. And I think it's interesting because he said, I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. And, uh, and he said, I moved away from all of that in anger and in rebellion. And he said, and he described himself for much of his young adult life. He said, I would call myself about 20% atheist and 80% agnostic. But recently he's been talking more and more about how He's on a spiritual journey. And again, pray for him. Don't judge him. Pray for him. Pray that he finds the truth that he seems to be seeking. I used this quote a few years ago, and it was interesting that these are the things that Brad Pitt said, okay? And he's someone kind of in my generation that we would look at and think he has everything. He even says that he has everything. But this is what he said in an interview in Rolling Stone magazine. He said this, listen to his gut level honesty a few years ago. He said this, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation? And he uses this word, and loneliness. Interesting. If you ask me, I say toss all of this. We've got to find something else because all I know is that at this point in time, we are heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And he says this, and I don't want that. Rolling Stone interviewer says, so if we're heading toward this kind of existential dead end in society, what do you think should happen? And again, several years ago, this is what his response was. Man, I don't have the answers to that yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. And it says in the interview, it says, and he says, and he smiles big and he says, and I'm sitting in it and I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know, but I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. That's what he said. And I, that's fascinating to me, okay? 
And, and we, we, again, we can elevate celebrities and think that they, maybe they have the good life that, that's being talked about and such powerful thoughts to, to begin to look at this. And listen, it's, it's not that some of the things that some of these folks are talking about are necessarily evil or bad things in and of themselves or that they can't be good and bring some elements of joy to our lives and be pleasurable in certain ways. But what I think their point is, is that they're not ultimately fulfilling. That they don't find that this is what it, they're really searching for within their lives. But guys, this is nothing new. I mean, if you go to the Old Testament and go many years back, do you remember in the Old Testament a guy who pursued everything looking for happiness, looking for fulfillment, and he looked in every single wrong place? His name was Solomon. We're going to do a series on him next year. He had wealth, houses, chariots, horses, thousands of women, sex, land, power. He looked for it through partying. He looked for it through work. He looked for it through education and in, in comedy. He was looking for it. He tried it all. In fact, the scripture would say that whenever the queen of Sheba, another, another powerful person came and observed all that Solomon had, had, the Bible says this, that she was left breathless. That's how she's des described her view of, oh my goodness, he has every everything. But was he content? Was he happy? Did he love life? Let's let him answer that. What does he say in Ecclesiastes? So I came to hate life. Interesting. He tried everything and he said, I came to hate life. Everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing after the wind. In other words, I think I'd get my arms around it at some point, but then that's not it. That escapes me. I think it's this, that's not it. But here's the thing, you don't have to be a celebrity to be discontented with life. Many people, many people feel that way. Many people who are Christians would say that they don't love life. They would say that maybe they're enduring life and, and they, don't, they don't love it and don't have peace and they're not contented. Now listen, I'm not saying that, that Everything is perfect in our lives, and that's what the condition is, right? So again, what Peter is saying to a group of Christians who were suffering, who were going through difficulty, to put it mildly, God wants you to stand firm in your faith in spite of your conditions. God wants you to be the real deal and, and not to have a fake plastic smile. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, I want you not to just survive this and endure life. I have left you in this world that is difficult and challenging to be different than those who don't know Jesus. To show something different as you stand firm in your faith that it creates a hunger in their life that they want what you have, right? But how? Is it even possible? Can we love life even when it's hard? Can we love life when things aren't going our way or whenever we're struggling financially or maybe our relationships are broken? Is it possible to love life? Peter starts to tell us practically how to begin to do this. And I'm going to tell you this. Some of this is going to seem so completely counterintuitive and against what your flesh is going to tell you to do. Have you noticed that the things that Jesus all often would say would be things that would just turn our world upside down literally because it would be opposite of what we think we should do. We think we should do a certain thing, but here's the question. How's that working for us? And Jesus would say, 
I want, you to, I want you to begin to think the way that I'm telling you to think here. If you go back to verse 10 and chapter 3 here, he says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days. Now, now let's just start to unpack this a little. There are a couple of words for life. There's bios here where we would get bio, you know, biology. That's kind of a, something that is alive and not dead. And then there's the word zoe. For life, this word is Zoe, and this is more than just not dead, okay? It's actually all the experiences and the richness of really living. That's what he's saying. If you want to have that kind of fulfillment in life, Zoe kind of life, what he's saying is, now, by the way, the NLT doesn't do justice to the word enjoy here. That's, that's not really that great of a translation there. The word is actually agapon, which is this word where we would use this root word agape, which is a strong-willed affection. In other words, it's a choice to love life in this kind of way. He's going to say, so combine these words. It's actually the best translation. If you want to not just enjoy life, if you want to love life, that's how it literally translates. If you want to love life and see happy days, this happy days he's saying here, it's purposeful days, that your life has some meaning behind it, that, there, that there's more to you than just existing. You are actually making a difference. You feel that way about your life. Now, let me give you some context. Remember, Peter's writing to these Christians who are suffering. He's going to remind them in chapter 1 of their salvation. So you want to go back to the place of your salvation. He's going to then remind them of their identity. This is what Christ has done. You're a son and daughter of God now. You're an, a, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And then he's going to begin to say, because you're a son and daughter of God, this is how you should begin to behave in a world that is contrary to your faith. This is what that behavior looks like. So he starts kind of pointing this out. And he starts, if you'll recall, into chapter 2, he starts kind of saying, you have a, you're an alien in this world and you're going to have a, a, a government. They had a government that was opposing them and persecuting them. You're going to often have employers that aren't going to treat you right. How do you behave in that manner as a believer? You're going to sometimes have maybe a spouse that's not a believer and they're going to maybe be hostile towards your faith. How do you behave in that manner? And if you'll recall, Peter is going to begin to point all of us to this word that we like to resist, but it's a word that's a beautiful word when you understand it, and it's this word, submission. Remember from last week, submission is not weakness. Submission, we learned as a definition last week, and Pastor Randy taught us the week before that, that it is, it is this voluntary move into selflessness. That it's you are trusting yourself into God's care and you are voluntarily, nobody's forcing you, you're voluntarily moving into a place of selflessness. And so what Peter is saying is you want to be submissive to a government that doesn't treat you right. You're going to be selfless in this. You're not always demanding your ways, your rights, all this. You're going you're gonna to live this way. You're going you're gonna to be voluntary selfless in the workplace. Uh, you're going to live this way with your spouse as you mutually submit to one another, okay? And, then, and this is what Peter is getting at. And, and, and what he's saying is as you begin to live this kind of selflessness, people start noticing something about you. There's something different about that person. What is it? Why does that person seem at peace? Why, why do they have this whenever I know that their life on the outside seems to be falling apart, yet they're different on the inside? 
Now, here is what we often see, okay? And I've, I'm, I've been as much a part of this as anybody else. What we often see is whenever a believer is going through a difficulty, we can look miserable, act miserable, have a sour disposition. We can get bitter. We can be complaining all the time outwardly, and people, all they hear is our complaining and our bickering. We can, we can come off as anxious and without peace and discontented, and, 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 you know, and what Peter is going to say is those are not the right responses for a world that's going to be hostile to you. The right response are going to be these things. And by the way, it's going to be the good life. This is how I want you to live. He says, let's, let's go back to this. By the way, this is what we would call lifestyle evangelism. This is how you begin to live your faith out, and you're the real deal. You're not a fake. You're not a Sunday morning Christian in name only. You're living this out in a world that is hostile, often in a culture that is hostile to what you believe. And here's what he says. Finally, verse 8, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Now, did you notice that he said, finally? Now, is this like, finally, and it's not the end of the letter? No, there's still more of the letter. What is the finally? It's a, it's, he's wrapping up, and it's a summation of all of this thoughts on submission. What he's saying is to submit to one another. This is a key to having a good life. He, he says, finally here, and, it, and, and you can go back to chapter 2 where this whole line of thinking started. He says this, be careful, Christians, to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. The implication is people that don't know Jesus are watching you. They're watching you. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior your outward responses to even persecution that happens. Peter's saying, I want to tell you how to live in a society that's hostile towards your faith and bring honor to God. How do you begin to do this? And, they, and, and by the way, he's, what he's saying is not only does it bring honor to God, it's going to bring you fulfillment in your life. You're going to begin to, to, to be fulfilled. You're not going to think that this will bring fulfillment, but Peter says this, and we have to begin to step into faith and trust this. So, so here's what he's going to say, okay? How do you begin to love life in spite of our circumstances? How do you do this? If you're taking some notes, write this down. Now, next week, what we're going to look at is some responses that are external, but the first thing he says is he says, how do you love life? Well, first, I have to come to the place of understanding I can only control what I can control. And really, all that is is, is what's going on inside of here. I can't control you. I can't control people who are around me. And if you're a control freak, this wrecks you, does it not? Peter is saying, you're going to have to trust God. And here is what you can control, your internal attitude with other people. Okay, now this is hard. Why is this hard? Because let's get real. People are the worst. Wouldn't you agree? How many of you have somebody like that, okay? Raise your hands, just don't make eye contact. Don't look around. The holidays are coming up. Your family's coming in town. People can be the worst is maybe the way I should say that, okay? But what he's, Peter is saying is, listen, your 
fulfillment in life is not contingent on everything that's going on around you. As a believer, your fulfillment in life is found in what's going on in here. That's what you can control. Peter's going to give us some attitudes of what this looks like. How do we begin to flesh this out? How does this look in our lives? What are the attitudes of the heart that he says will bring the good life? Look at what he says. Now, again, it's, counter, it's counterintuitive to us. Our flesh is going to say, no, this isn't what you do. But, but listen, it's all the things that Jesus taught Peter when Peter walked with him. Remember how, again, how Jesus would say things like, die to yourself. Jesus would say things like, take up your cross. If you're going to be my disciple and follow me. Take up your cross was a radical thing to say. You're, you're dying to yourself. Jesus would say things like, the first shall be last. We don't get that, right, in our flesh. Jesus would say, to find your life, you have to lose it. All this stuff is upside down from our world. And so here is what he's going to say This is these attitudes that you can cultivate in your heart. Number one, be of one mind. This word is actually this word, be harmonious. Be of one mind. These two Greek words is this word homo is the same as, and the word phroneo is to think, it's to be of one mind. Now, here is what we know. We're all different, though. We all have different philosophies and different kind of ways of of thinking about things. We come from different backgrounds, What he's getting at here is in spite of all of our differences, we are to work at unity, and it's something that you have to work at. And for unity, for that to be something that you work at, it means that you have to die to yourself in some things. You have to begin to to put some of your preferences aside. Isn't it interesting how sometimes we inside the church can treat each other with, with as much hostility as those that would treat you outside of the church. Whenever we disagree about things, what Peter is saying is that has to stop. You will not find fulfillment in life if you're constantly in conflict all the time because you're demanding your way, demanding your rights, all of this. And there are so many things within the church that we can argue about, right? And, and, And listen, He's, he's not calling us to agree upon everything. That's not what he's saying. It's not possible, and I would even suggest it's not desirable. What he's saying is, inside the church, he's saying we have to learn to die to ourselves, not only inside the church, but also in the way that we act with others. We could fight inside the church about, about our political beliefs, right? I mean, there's a little bit of that going on in our world. We could, we could fight about what we think is the best Bible translation, We could have a a conflict about how to best educate our kids. Is it through private school or homeschool or public school? We could fight about our preferred worship styles. Should it be hymns or should it be contemporary or blended or whatever? We could fight about the way to discipline our kids. We could fight about what Pastor Bart said last week about cats really being evil. I mean, there's, I got emails this week, okay, all right? And the list could go on. Man, cat people, okay? Seriously, right? The list could go on about the things that we could disagree. Here's what Peter is calling for, okay? Peter is calling for unity, not uniformity. He's calling for being in unison. We, we don't agree on everything, but that's okay. What we do is we're not going to major in the minors. We're going to major in the major. And what is that? Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And his word is true, and that is what we elevate. 
It's not all of our opinions that matter. That's why I started today with saying, my opinion is not what you need today. You need God's word. You need his word. So he says, be like-minded. Be like-minded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's coming from Peter who was very prideful, right? And who was trying to elevate his way in certain times within his walk with Jesus. And now he's, he's seen the submission of Christ. And now Jesus modeled that for him. And what he's saying is, how do we have a good life? We learn to mutually submit to one another. Just like within the marriage, we do this with one another, which, which doesn't mean we're weak. It just means this, that, that we're humble with each other. This is what he's saying. We're humble. We don't demand our way all the time. We don't have to be right. We don't, you know, we are not going to win a broken world to Christ by our protests as Christians. And I'm not saying we don't take a stand for things, but do you know what wins people to Jesus is when they see that he is real within your life. And that he is what anchors you in the midst of your hardship. So this is what he said. We submit to one another, okay? Here's the second thing he says. If you want to have the good life, we are sim- be sympathetic. Have sympathy with people. What is he getting at here? Well, it's this word pathos, which means to suffer. And the word sympathetic, the word sun means together. What he's saying is notice other people and suffer with them. Many of us, we are not happy in our lives because all we ever think about is ourselves. And what he's saying is, you begin to think about other people. You start to notice other people. You enter into their brokenness. And, and, and this is what he's saying is going to begin to, to give you the good life. We, we share the burdens. Paul would talk about sharing each other's burdens And I know this, okay, because I've been in this place before. Whenever maybe I was going through a hard time in my life, it's easy to get callous to other people because we're focusing on ourselves. It's easy to get bitter. It's easy to get to where all I'm thinking about is myself. That is the natural thing to do. And what Peter is saying, though, is if you want to be happy and see happy days within your lives, you got to start noticing other people. And oftentimes when you notice other people, what does it begin to do? It begins to put our own life into perspective. We begin to realize, although we're going through hardship, we still have been blessed, have we not? We still are blessed by God in a number of different ways. Not long ago, I was having a conversation with a man in our church who had tragically lost a family member. This was actually a few years back. And as I was talking with him, he said, it, it, was, it was interesting as we were going through this, he said, he said, I felt like people definitely cared about us, but he said, people almost kind of avoided us whenever we were going through that because he said, honestly, he said, I felt for them because I think the reason they avoided us, and this is true, I think for many of us, they just didn't know what to say. You ever been in that place, right? When you see someone go through that, let me tell you from someone in a pastoral position who's walked with a lot of folks, I've said some really dumb things, okay? So we all will say dumb things, but here's what I've learned probably more than anything. Your presence matters more than your words. Showing up matters. Now here's something I also want to say in this. In a church this size that continues to grow, if we are going to do this effectively, sympathetic, you need to understand something, that your pastors are not omniscient. Only God is. And what that means is we can't possibly, nor were we made to possibly walk with every single one of you through the difficulties in your life. 
That's why it's imperative that you're in small groups with other believers. Because an effective church, even though it's growing larger, should be growing smaller at the same time. And what that means is that you have people in your life. You're not pushing people away, but you're, you're serving others. And when your time comes, they should also step in and serve you as well and help you. This is what we call doing life together. It's not possible and it's not fair to expect that one group of people are going to know everything that's going on. And it's not the way that God set it up. God set it up for us to be in each other's lives, to be sympathetic towards one another. This is how, by the way, we need each other. This is what it means to live the good life. You be sympathetic. Here's what he says next. I want you to be loyal in brotherly love. What does he mean by this, okay? Now, he doesn't say loyal, but the word he uses is, is Philadelphoi, and it's a word that translates brother love. It's a brotherly kind of love. When I think about this, it's a loyalty, okay? Now, think about this. If you have a sibling, you probably have argued with that sibling, and you sometimes don't get along, and maybe you've, you know, bicker a little bit, but let me tell you something. If anybody says anything about my sister, even if we've been arguing, we're going to have a problem. You know what I'm saying? There's a loyalty there. You step in for your brother, for your sister, and he said, what I want you to do is to be loyal to each other. When the world is running them down, and sadly, if other Christians are running them down, you are to run in and you're to be loyal. That's what he says will make you happy. That's the good life. He says next, I want you to be tenderhearted. It's this unique word. It means compassionate. This word compassion is the same word that Paul used when he said in Ephesians 4, be kind, be tenderhearted. It's be compassionate, forgiving one another. It comes from this word in the Greek that is really unique. And it comes from this deep from within the, your gut. That's what he's talking about here. What, what, what they believed was they believed that all of these deep emotions like love and joy and hate and anger and mercy, they didn't come from the mind. They came from deep within the gut. And what he's saying is, and Jesus, when he looked out upon the, the people, the, the multitudes, it said that he became compassionate. He was moved not just to feel sympathy, but to move into doing something about what he saw. And he, and he was compassionate, okay? And, and this is what he's talking about, that, that, that you from deep within must move into doing something about what you're seeing. It's not just, well, I know there's a lot of hurting people. What are you going to do about what you see? How are you going to serve some others? Our life group recently uh, on, our, on a Monday night where we meet, we went down uh, and we serve with, uh, with a ministry called Love and Light Ministry. It's a great ministry to the homeless. It's run by a woman named Heather Dixon. And I know some of you have been a part of this. And uh, Heather, by the way, her story is that at one time she was homeless and God delivered her out of that. And she has decided as, a, as, a, as just because God has called her to this to love people who are in that kind of situation and I'm going to tell you, she has an incredible ministry that is a well-oiled machine in its organization. And God has used her in a powerful way. But our life group was serving that night. And it, we went down to the, the southeast part of Fort Worth and we're serving people. She's, they know her. She's a regular. She comes every Tuesday night. And, and anyhow, I'm in the line there serving some of the homeless folks that are coming through. I think about 300 came through that night. It was a cold night as well. 
And uh, what struck me more than anything, yes, the food was great for them, that there was a woman that was moving through the line there, a homeless woman, and Heather was standing behind me, and she said this. She said to Heather, she said, aren't you the lady that not only gives out food, but you also give out hugs? And that just touched my heart at that moment because I thought she is known for compassion. I actually had to step away from the line for a minute because Heather said, yes, that's me. And she gave this woman a hug. And I believe that woman needed probably a hug that night more than she needed that food. I stepped away because something got in my eye at that moment, all right? <laughs> and I stepped away and I just thought, what a reputation to be known for compassion, to be known for than just more than this life being about me. And I walked away, and my faith was renewed and restored and replenished. It's not that my faith was waning. It's just that it was invigorated that night. And I thought, I want to be a part of those kinds of things. It's loving people the way Jesus did. There's so many ways for you to plug in and show compassion. You can get involved in Community Link. You can get involved in a ministry that David Parton in our church has called Faith Works that ministers to the elderly and helps them where they need things that are fixed. You can get involved in Meals on Wheels or, or Operation Christmas Child or serve in our children's ministry. So many ways, but here's the deal. You think, I don't have time for another ministry. Well, here's the thing. You are called to live on mission with God and not just serve in one of those ministries. You're called to be a minister every single day. Wherever you're at, if you want to have the good life, live the good life at work by serving others there. Notice people who are hurting. Ask people what's going on, then pray with them. Then if there's a need that you can meet, Peter is saying, this is how you live the good life. It's not about you. We get discouraged and depressed and disillusioned when all of our focus is on ourselves. And Peter's saying, I want you to start noticing other people. Serve other people. Many times I'll have people that will come to me and they're struggling in life and I, I don't mind visiting and talking with folks and oftentimes I'll share some biblical counsel with them. But inevitably what I will often end up suggesting to them is this, is for them to, and, and this is for somebody who's really struggling personally, I say, you know what will really be good for you is to go serve somebody else. And, and I know the look on many of their faces because I know it's probably a look that I've had when I've been told that. I don't feel like doing that. And this is what I say. You have to, at that moment in faith, begin to act your way into that feeling. Because if you're waiting upon your feelings, you will never feel like doing it. And what I say is when you begin to act your way into that feeling, I'm not saying be be disingenuous, or but when you begin to make yourself, it's a discipline, begin to do some of these things, you're going to find that God, in that moment of you serving someone else, is going to give you some perspective in your life, and God is going to bring you some peace that you probably did not have before you did this. What is he talking about? He's saying, notice other people. Look, look at Proverbs, even says, a man who is kind, he's not only kind to others and it benefits them, it, he benefits himself. Do you see that? It benefits you when you're thinking about others. Here's the final thing that he says in verse 9 about this internal attitude. And I started the message today. This is what we see in our Jesus, is to be humble. He says to have a humble 
mindset. This humility like Christ, Peter was so touched by this and now he's calling these believers to be humble with one another and humble with other people. If you want to be living the good life, you have to cultivate this humility within your life. It's not being mousy or wimpy or anything. It's, it's, it's not thinking as if you have no worth. I've heard someone say it's not thinking uh, less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's not, you realize your value in Christ that you have, Jesus died for you, but, but it's that you, you elevate others above your own needs. And he's saying, if you want to be happy, begin to do this. This whole attitude of humility, I want to close with this. Paul echoes this in Philippians chapter two. He says, if there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, do you need comfort today? If there's any of this, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Do you see the be of one mind, unity? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others where it's all about your image, right? Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same, what's the next word? Attitude. The same attitude that Jesus Christ had. If you keep reading that, what does it say? He gave up his rights. He didn't consider his equality with God that he had, right, something to hold on to. But he entrusted himself to the Father. He submitted himself to others. He met people's deepest needs. He didn't think about himself, but he thought about others constantly. And then he goes on. If you skip down to verse 12, he says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you. He's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You don't have to try to make this happen on your own. Submit to the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit begins to work in you. Do everything. Everything, the last time I looked it up, means everything. Without complaining and arguing. What? But look at what he says, so that no one, outsiders, can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly, you could say it this way, stand firm in your faith, no matter what's going on around you. Let's just bow our heads if we can. The good life is what Peter talks about. Let me ask you something today. Do you love life? How is your attitude in your life today? It's kind of some tough words. I, I admit that. I kind of struggled with it and wrestled with it this week because I can get negative. I can complain. Do these attitudes, though, that Peter described. I had to repent in some areas this week. Do these attitudes describe you? Is there one or more of these that the Lord would show you today that he desires for you to grow in? Maybe it's 
Maybe it's just being of one mind and harmonious with others. By the way, that word harmony, it's this, it's this word with this different parts that are making one unit of one sound that's beautiful. You always have to argue your point and be the one who wins every argument. Or would you be willing to put your opinions aside for the betterment of the unification of the body of Christ? What about sympathy? Who do you need to enter into their pain with them this week? It's not about your words. It's about just showing up sometimes and just walking with them. A lot of times we're better when we're just quiet. But we're present. Who needs some loyalty from you? Maybe they're getting beat up by others in school or in the community? Do you join in? Are you a person that stands up and stands in the way, in their place, in loyalty? Others are running out, you're running in. What about compassion? Has God been showing you something lately and it's, it's, it's touched your heart but you just haven't done anything with this? He's trying to move you into doing something about that. You want to be happy in life? Obey the Lord. What about humility? Are you, are you prideful, so prideful that all your relationships are a wreck? Your standoffs and pride are bringing a standstill to fellowship. By the way, all of these things are things that you can employ in all of your relationships, in your marriage, your work relationships. Let's ask the Lord to help us be more like Jesus because this is a description of Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. We want to be people of action, not just hearing these words today. Lord, we want to shine brightly for this world that's broken. We want to show them by the way that we live what the good life in you really is all about. So convict us where we need to be convicted. Restore us if we need restoration. And we put our trust in you as we submit and enter into selflessness. In Jesus' name. Will you stand with me as we sing this final song?